Welcome to the podcast, it's how the last ones at the bar, where we quite often have discourse at great lengths about numerous boxing topics and subject matter. My name is William Henry, and this week I'm joined by the big enchilada, Daniel Lee. Vela's going to be out this week. Danny, how you doing? What's good, brother? I'm feeling good. Uh, we got a nice little long weekend, so I've been enjoying it. The weather's been nice down here. How you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I had a, a good weekend. Yesterday, um, a friend and I, we went and grabbed some bikes down there off of Eisenhower. And so we got them for like, we rented them out for like two hours. And then we drove, rode, I'm sorry, drove. We, we um, rode down there near Old Town. Okay. And then we came back up, had a few cocktails and, you know, then it was time for that boxing to come on, you know? Now, you know, like I say, you know how we like to have these little softball topics, you know, discussions before we get off into the boxing events. This past week you had Golden State, you know, they won him another championship. Now Steph, he has four rings and then he finally got that coveted MVP. You know, my question to you, for one, do you think Golden State, you think they're going to repeat next year? And then as far as Steph is concerned, what do you rank him as far as like the all-time point guards based on your knowledge of hoops? First of all, I would be remiss if I didn't say, did I call it or did I call it? I said they was going to win in six and they did. So I just wanted to give myself my flowers for a second. Okay. But- okay. But to answer your question, you know what I mean? Uh, Golden State is in an interesting position because they have, in terms of unrestricted free agents, they have Gary Payton, they have Kevon Looney, Damian Lee, Andre Iguodala, Otto Porter Jr. And Jordan Poole is good for another year, but he's eligible to sign his rookie extension in the offseason. And they're on the books for estimated $170 million in luxury tax. So they have some things they're going to have to figure out. And there's a lot of variables going into the offseason, but it isn't something that they haven't figured out before. And there are also going to be some healthy teams coming back. You know what I mean? The healthy Clippers are going to be a problem. Healthy Grizzlies are going to be a problem, I think. And on the East, you have the Celtics now with that experience and maybe, you know, some of the wrongs that they, you know, did in the finals, they can write, you know, next season because they could have very well won that series. And then uh, you have a healthy Bucks squad, hopefully. But next year, I think Clay is going to be like Clay again. I think Poole's going to be better. I think they'll figure it out in terms of their free agents. And so I could see them repeating. Obviously, it's not a guarantee because, you know, you just don't know who's going to be healthy that time of year, but I could see them repeating. In terms of where I rate Steph, I'll preface this by saying I really don't feel comfortable rating players all time because me, you know, I'm 35. I wasn't really able to comprehend the game like that until maybe the mid-2000s, like as an adult. And so I didn't watch players, even though I was watching hoops in the 90s, I didn't watch it with the same eyes that I did, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20. Uh, that said, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, I was looking up some of the all-time point guard lists on online, and Hoops Hype had a good one. They had Magic at number one, Big O at number two, Jerry West at number three, and Steph at number four. Uh, one could make 
the argument that he's better than Jerry West now. Um, I would not make the argument because I never watched him play, but you got to put him like at least top three at this point in his career. Um, and in terms of current point guards, I would have him number one. I think Lucas, you know, not far behind, but I think he's number one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you broke down as far as like what limitations that the uh, Warriors are going to be facing for this upcoming season. And, you know, with, with a lot of those teams, if they're healthy, then it's to me, it's a toss up. You know, I can see pretty much like five, six teams having a legitimate shot of winning a title next year. So that's hard to call because going into this season, I was thinking that you was going to have the Bucks and Phoenix. I was kind of certain, you know, but then you had certain injuries that you had Phoenix. They didn't come out for game seven, which I surprised me, you know, that you have that game at home and that you, you, you lay an egg like that. So it's, it's kind of difficult in the Bucks with Middleton. He was out. So what if they have faced Giannis and the Bucks with a healthy Middleton? How would that matchup go? So it's, it's kind of hard, you know what I mean, to, to um, say. But, I mean, they have a shot. But I just think Draymond is going to be a year older, too. You know, some of those guys are going to be better, like you say, Poole and people like that. But at the same time, depending on who they face, can they stop, like, a legitimate big guy like a Giannis and – you know, they're a well-oiled machine too, you know, and how would that matchup go? Like I said, you know, as far as the point guard thing, it's hard to say with Steph, you know what I'm saying? Because he's, he, he, he plays the point guard position so unique, you know, he, he does it differently than anybody else as far as him being just, just the way he shoots the ball for like once he passes half court, like he's more of a scorer than anything else. And then he has a lot of limitations on defense. I can name some players that like overall, a ton of them who are just better than him if you think about their overall game. But it's just certain things that he does that makes it difficult for the opposing team. It's like he those daggers that he, he puts in your heart because he's shooting these little shots that in their threes. And it's just like, how can you defend that? You know, especially with these rules that they have in place now. So it's hard for me to call it um, as far as him, his status and where I would rate him as far as a point guard, because just off the top of my head, just thinking about guys like Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, um, Oscar Robinson, you know, Jason Kidd, you know, Gary Payton, you know, all of those guys, they like legitimate point guards to me, you know, and you know, it's just hard to say. I, I don't want to downplay what it is he's doing. I just think that in this era, you got to rate him number one, although there's still some other guys that I see that it depends on what team that you have him on. Like, he's one of those guys that for that particular team, then, yeah, he's the top gun right now. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, let's go ahead and get off into these top. Anything else you want to talk about as far as that is concerned? And I also had a question for you, Danny. You know, like I hear you say that. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're younger than I am. Um, when it comes to certain topics, because I heard you say that with boxing as well, like sometimes it's hard to like rate certain people because you haven't seen, you know, some people in the past. Like when you, when you see guys, is there ever a guy that you see 
like from the past, whether it's boxing or whether it's the NBA, that you look at and you'll be like, nah, he that that's a great right there. Like he's probably one of the best, but you he's not in your era. Do you ever see somebody like that that you that jumps off at the screen to you? I think I would say yeah, in terms of like different attributes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like again, I was watching past prime magic as like a six-year-old you know what i mean but mm. he was innovating the game in a way that nobody had done before with like if you look at point guards a decade before that which i didn't look at extensively but the way he was able to move the ball around especially at his size that's something that he was a he was a trailblazer in that sense he was a pioneer and so you know in general when i look at and I guess you could do it more so in basketball than boxing. But when I look at it, I look at this hasn't been done before by this person. This person is setting something that's going to change the league. You know what I mean? For years to come. And now you have someone like a Luca, who is a bigger guard doing some of those things you even had. And, you know, um, he got hurt very early in his career, but you had a guy like Sean Livingston, who was a big guard who was doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I when I look at it, I look at who who is out here changing the game in that way. Um, right. So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it personally. Gotcha. See, because some of those things are going to determine be determined by the rules in place, too. You right. know what I mean? Like cause some of the guys that who are like having these lofty numbers, you can't really touch anybody like you could actually like put your arm on somebody on the perimeter back then where it was like the game was so um, rough, you know, back. I think what ended up stopping that is when the Knicks, like sometimes the games would be like 72 to 76, like that'd be the final scores with the Knicks against the Pacers. And it's like, nah, we can't allow hand checking and stuff like that, which, you know, the, the ripple effect is, of that is now these dudes who can shoot, you can't touch them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how are you going to be able to defend these dudes, you know, if you aren't able to, like, be physical, you know, use your physicality against them. Um, but the, I was saying that because, like, for me, right, when I was coming up, like, I see guys, like, I, I, I didn't see Oscar Robinson play, but when I look back at him, I'm like, nah, that dude, the way he was, like, using his body and, you know, controlling the game, and stuff like that like I can tell that he was that dude you know what I'm saying and then also especially with those rules in place like he just used his backside and he just had that vision and stuff like that too and he could score when it come to boxing like Ali Ali is like you mentioned Magic Johnson seeing him when he was at his elder stage that's how it was for Ali like when I saw Ali I was just like a little kid seeing him in those last few fights that he had. But then when I was able to go back and see him 66 against Cleveland Williams, like that version of him, I don't know anybody who could beat that guy, but you're not gonna be able to touch him. And then he's just rat, rat a tat tat you. And so that's how I'll be looking at certain things too. You know what I mean? But, you know, we can talk about this stuff all day. You know what I mean? But let's go ahead and get off into some of these topics. You know, speaking of a great, you know, who put on a great performance um, yesterday, at Madison, not Madison Square Garden, but it was out there uh, in Manhattan. You had Archer Betterbee 
going against another champion in Joe Smith. Uh, what did you think about Arthur, the beast, better be yesterday? You know, it played out about how I thought it would. When we when we gave our quick picks, I thought that Joe Smith Jr.'s aggression was going to cost him. Um, but I didn't know it was going to cost him that quickly. You know what I mean? I almost, you know, I, I've replayed in my head, like, could this have went out? Could this have played out differently? And I, I think that this was the inevitable end because that's Joe Smith Jr.'s style. You know, he's not he's not flashy. He doesn't have a whole lot of wrinkles. He just tries really hard, for lack of a better word. And so, you know, his game plan was to try really hard against someone like Betterbev. And it was unfortunate for him because it was almost like Joe Smith Jr.'s style turned off a switch in Betterbev's head. Normally, Betterbev is content just kind of boxing and going with the flow, but just off the strength of his aggression, he's just going to break you down over time. But, you know, you had to fight aggression with aggression, and that's what Betterbev did. And so when Joe Smith Jr. got touched and knocked down at the end of the first, I don't think that bothered him so much. But in the second round, early in the second round, when Better Be started to wheel on him pretty early, there was kind of this look of resignation in Joe Smith Jr.'s body language, as if he was just sort of biding his time until it was over. And then when he got knocked down again and it was cleaner, that's when I was like, okay, you know, I, I went from this is definitely not going to go 12 to this might not go three. And Better be able to just so he's just so precise with his aggression. It was he's he just a beast. I don't know what else to say, but this is who we thought he was coming out of out of COVID, you know, because, you know, we had him at some points. I, I, one of us had him in our top 10 pound for pound, you know, but he had caught COVID himself. He looked a little bit human in some of his fights, you know, once boxing started to happen again after COVID. And during COVID, but he seems to really be in his groove now. And it's almost like you bring what you're going to bring and I'm going to bring it harder. And so very impressive win for a better BF. Um, respect to Joe Smith Jr. too, because he was game. Uh, there was no fear. It's just when you get, I imagine when you get touched like that by a guy like better BF, it's almost like, okay, I don't really have a plan B, <laughs> you know? So I can't really... You know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, he got knocked out in the second round, but I can't really fault him because I've never been hit by a better BF either. So um, much respect to both fighters, though. Yeah, man, that was a thing of beauty yesterday. You know, that guy, Archer Better B, but he's has um, that pedigree. You know what I mean? We, we, we take for granted and we quite often overlook the fact that this dude was a two-time Olympian, you know what I mean? And he has those skills. I remember uh, going back to revisit a fight that he had with Alexander Usyk. And Usyk defeated him. Um, but at that time, it was, it was a surprise that Usyk was able to defeat him. Um, just like in, in retrospect, knowing now how strong Usyk is and how good Usyk is. You just didn't know it at that time because he was he was very young, you know, when they faced each other, at least very young in his, you know, Olympian career or his amateur career. But in this one, you know, um, round one, you had 
better be if he came out, he was boxing. So when Joe Smith was coming with that aggression, he showed those skills where he was kind of bagging up a little bit. And then eventually he caught Smith with a shot that I thought put him down. The referee said that it wasn't a knockdown. But then soon after that, he caught him coming in. Boom. It was just a nice counter right the second round. And what, what uh, Joe Smith was trying to do is he just said, forget it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to try to weather the storm or anything like that. I'm just going to keep coming. And then, you know, he dropped him again with a, with a, with a, left, with a left hook. And moments later, he knocked him down again with a flurry. And then the way he finished them, like these different punches that he's throwing, the, he hit him with a left uppercut. Then he hit him with a right uppercut. And then uh, the, the referee ended up waving it off. But you seeing this guy, you know, showing everything. When I had him in the top 10, this is what the reason why is because of the technique. He's an offensive menace and he's able to use angles. And most importantly, it's that punch placement. Now, if you see him train, and when you see him hit guys, right, it's not like he's hitting them with the everything he has. He just has like he has to have like some huge hands or something like that. I don't know. But I see him when he trains like the, the, the stuff that he does with his fingers, like those push ups and he's jumping up in the air and then he, he's doing it on his like fist and stuff like that. Most people you do that one time and it's like, man, this stuff hurts. But he's just doing this consecutively for a considerable amount of, amount of time. And he has all these different exercises that he does. So his wrists, his hands, they just have to be like very extremely strong. So the end came at two minutes and 19 seconds of the second round. You know, when you face better beef, it's, it's always gonna be, you, you're always gonna be faced with that, I would say unbridled danger that's always gonna lurk because you're facing somebody who can knock you silly. Now he doesn't, to me, have like knockout power where it's like a Deontay Wilder, you know, one shot, one hitter, quitter type thing. It's more so you're going to be hurt. You know what I mean? And it's soon after that he can, you know, take you out. But anytime that he touches somebody flush, I, I've never seen anybody who's able to just take it. And Joe Smith had never been knocked down in his career. I don't know if I've ever seen really Joe Smith hurt, at least not very bad. You know, but when he was getting touched, man, that stuff was really having a, um, a, a horrible effect. And um, I think what you mentioned before, as far as like the things that happened with COVID and how he looked in, in the Adam Dines fight and in his last fight. But see, here's the thing. You're absolutely correct as far as Joe Smith's fighting style, because it's one of two things. And it could have been a combination of both. Joe Smith probably saw what we saw and how better be look, you know, human in those last two fights. But those guys, nobody really stands there and fights better be. You know what I mean? Like they're not just right there in front of them. Most people are going to box and they're going to try to catch him, you know, as he gets a little bit tired or try to catch him um, like slipping in some type of way where they counter him being overly aggressive or something like that, not just going in there, you know, guns blazing because you just really setting yourself up for suicide, really. And so I think Joe Smith saw, you know, how he looked in those last two fights and he decided that I'm just going to fight fire with fire, but that's also his fighting style. And better be, he has the skills um, because he, and I'm telling you, Danny, he has skills like a bivvle. It's just the difference is, is that not only can he box, but he's a monstrous puncher with that punch placement and timing, you know, it's timing is top level.
Um, and like I say, Smith never tried to weather the storm. He never tried to clinch. You know, he just tried to, you know, fight his way out of trouble and better be made him pay. You know, so now it looks like, last thing I'm gonna say, when, when they, Joe Smith does have some pop, you know what I mean, in his punches, but you didn't see it yesterday because of the technique. He wasn't able, better be was able to see everything and then just throw and catch him, you know, pretty much at will. And it's kind of like that, that Easy E song when, it, when he said that, you know, he shot, ping, ping, I shot. And he said, as you can see, I, I straight smoked this, you know. It was the same thing yesterday, man. Every time he hit him, it was just having, you know, that destructive, um, you know, response that, that Smith had to, you know, get hit. And Smith, you know, he was, he was transported to the hospital. Hopefully he's okay. And the last thing I'm going to say about this fight is or two things that I'm going to say is that Canelo, he lucky that he faced Bill <laughs> as opposed to facing Better B because that Better B we saw yesterday, he would end up being in the hospital. Um, and then lastly, it is looking like Anthony Yard is going to be, they have the date set up for October 29th. And, you know, I just said to say good luck, Anthony Yard, and congratulations to Better B. Now he holds the WBC, IBF, and WBO light heavyweight belts. Anything else you got? Man, Yard better take that step, step aside money and sit down somewhere. But, I mean, that's what he want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, no, I don't have anything else. Well, you know, you, you don't think he has a shot at all? I think that... I mean, maybe there's something in Yara's game that I haven't seen yet, but just basing off of, you know, how I've seen him against, you know, like a Linda Arthur, you know, like great that, you know, he he's able to, he was able to, you know, get himself to the point where he rebounded from that and got the knockout. Like, that's great. But with a guy like Linda Arthur, he doesn't have that kind of, power that's going to put you in serious danger you know like he's a good fighter and he has a pretty high knockout percentage he has a 65 percent knockout percentage but in the back of your mind fighting a fighter like better be if you you have to think about the fact that you're always one punch away from it being over and that has to weigh on you in the heat of a 12 round battle so, I mean, I think it's going to be a good fight. And I think that, you know, if he wants to take it, then he sees something. But I can't say that I see it going any differently than any of Better Bear's previous fights. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like Yard's heart and determination. It is a thing, though. See, he's a Yard himself can punch. Mm -hmm. And he's quick. He's athletic. And... It, it could go two ways, right? Where he, he's unorthodox. So it could be to the point where you know how sometimes a guy who's unorthodox, it's hard for a technical guy to be able sometimes to be able to like figure them out. And if you fight somebody who has a whole bunch of power, maybe one of those gets in and then, you know, you have a huge upset. Like the chances of that happening is not high, but that, like I said, that speed that he has, but the other, on the flip side of that, it could be where it's easy work for Better B because he doesn't have the amateur experience. I think he had like seven or so amateur fights. So he's really learning on the job. So when he had the fight and lost against, you know, Lyndon um, Arthur before, some of 
that was he trying to figure things out that he had never experienced. And then he was able to figure out the second go round. And then in the Kovalev fight, he was doing really well. You know what I mean? He, he, he was doing a good job until he got tired and fatigued. And then old Crusher, you know, took him out. Um, so, and the last thing I got for you as far as better be, because, you know, we don't have that many topics today. Who would you lean towards against him and Bill? That's a really good question. Because <laughs> after, you know what I mean? After both of their recent fights, it's almost like, and you know, no, no disrespect to Yard, but it's almost like, oh, this is the fight to make it. They're both riding off of these really high highs. But I'm going to try really hard not to let recency bias get to me. Because on one hand, you know, better be able to look about the best I've seen him in years. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bebel is a very solid fighter. And although he looked really good at outclassing Canelo, Canelo is not a true 175 pounder. You know, so those punches just weren't hitting the same. And I, I feel like Canelo didn't have as high of an output as better be able to be willing to give to Bevo in a fight. Um, I think that, you know, if it came down to it, both would stick to sort of their normal fighting styles in a sense that better be able to be looking to box well, but take what he sees and to break down Bevo over the course of time. But Bevo is so disciplined and patient and he's also defensively responsible, it would come down to like, it would be this high level chess match of who could see their game plan through the best. So if I had to call it right now, I think that in this fight, I, I could see this being a fight where Bedbiev, it comes to a decision for the first time in a Bedbiev fight. But I think I think he would win a narrow one. I think he would get a knockdown. I don't know if he'll knock Bevo out, but I think he'll get like a flash knockdown or something to where he will win like a 115, 112 decision or something like that. But I think it will be a good fight. Um, and I will be excited to see it. I hope it happens like next year or something like that. Man, I hope it happens sooner than later because I don't know how long better be is going to be able to be looking like that. You know what I mean? And I think partly the reason why he wasn't looking, you know, as superb as he did yesterday is the fact that he knew that he had to get up for Joe Smith. Not only Joe Smith has the upsets, you know, Smith upset. Well, who was that? Uh, from Farah back in the day, you know, when he wasn't supposed to win that fight, obviously the Hopkins fight. And then that, Elador Alvarez fight after COVID. I think that Smith, I was wondering yesterday, I was wondering if he was going to get lucky and catch him better beef at the right times. I know that just, you know, both looking at both guys' skills, that better beef was much more skilled. But I was like, is he catching another guy at the right times? When he called from Farah, from Farah, nobody knew Joe Smith at that time. You know what I mean? Like, the just the little average Joe dude who was working construction and trying to fight and stuff like that. And he, he caught him perfectly. Hopkins, Hopkins, same thing, tail end of his career, not really taking him as serious. And so, and then the Elador Alvarez fight was just right after COVID and everybody was questioning whether or not, where, who are you gonna spar against like during COVID? You know what I mean? Are you gonna come in? Who's are, is gonna be most affected from that? And it looked like he kind of got tired a little bit then Joe Smith caught him. So I didn't know whether or not that was gonna play a factor yesterday. Now, as far as better beef and, Bivol, man, it's because 
really the way Bibble fight. He, you got two machines that's gonna be fighting each other. Like they both just like, you know, very technically sound. Bibble is gonna be doing that one too, right? And he's gonna be sticking to his game plan. And then you got better beef. I would favor better B. And here, the reason why I would favor better B is because by Bibble being in there, he's going to be having success. But I saw him get stunned by Joe Smith. And Bill, I mean, yeah, Bibble often, not necessarily against Canelo. Canelo, he had a laser focus, and Canelo just seemed a little too small. But in other fights, I've seen him box effectively, but I see him get tagged too. And some of the times he got tagged, the Smith fight is the only time I've seen him visibly hurt. But in their other fights, he just, he was able to take those, those punches well, but they, he's not getting hit by a better beef either. I don't think that you can fight a 12 round fight and be getting hit by better beef and not succumb to TKO or a KO. And so I, I just, I think the the, you know, the ball is going to continue to roll as far as it's knockout. That the knockouts, if the fight takes place within the next, I want to say, eight months, I would definitely favor better be by stoppage. Anything after that, I can't really call because I don't know how long he's going to be able to get up at this age of his career, all of the wear and tear, even though he only has 18 fights, but all of that amateur background, the way he trains and things like that, that's going to take his toll after a while. And like I say, anything after eight months is fair game and anybody can win that. But, you know, before that, I got to lean towards the beast. You know what I mean? Anything else you got on that? All I'll say is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it ended in knockout, you know, because that is he has a 100 percent knockout percentage. You know what I mean? And what I'm seeing is that, you know, now that things are back open, they're trying to keep him active because if he's active, it seems like he's like regained his strength over the course of time. And so let's say he fights Anthony Yard in October, you know, that would be the best thing for him because he's still fighting high level competition and still staying in action. Mm-hmm. Now, if he were to like take the year off and then fight, you know, be able this time next year that I would be like, uh, yeah, you know, like, I don't know, but I think that as long as he remains active and it happens in the next you know, like you said, like 12 to 18 months, I could see him winning, like I said, like like I said, either a, a decision where he gets some knockdowns or like you said, either just a cold knockout or stoppage. See, but, my bad, man. The only thing I was going to say was this, like with Bivol, see, I haven't seen Bivol can box, but he's right there in front of you, like just hitting you and then kind of pivoting a little bit. So he's going to be right in there. That's the thing. Like, I don't see him boxing, moving from the outside. Like, I, I've never seen him do that. Now, he may, you know, implement that for this particular fight. But I just, it's, I think that when you have a fight this magnitude and you've been doing that consistently throughout your whole career, it's hard to, you know, switch up now. Now, you could very well do that because he is a machine. And whatever he sets his mind out to do, he appears that he can be able to pull it off. But if he does that strategy, I can see it going to well. But just the way he fights... You know, typically, that's the reason why I say that I, I would lean towards Bilbo and I mean Bivol. I mean, better be in a, in a knockout. Last thing I got for you: Do, do you put him in the top ten, pound for pound, or you have to you have to you know look at the different categories and, and, and put your numbers in there? 
I, I would prefer to crunch the numbers, but on, because on, <laughs> on one hand, <laughs> on, on one hand, like, so the guys that are in the top 10 or that we are probably going to put in the top 10 that wasn't there before, a lot of them have done work at other, at other weight classes. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's easier to say, oh, this piece pound for pound because he's literally moved up or went down in pounds. And so, you know, but it's, it's hard not to say that better is the best fighter at 175 right now. Like you're not going out on a limb by saying that. And then, you know, um, in terms of the other list, if you look at some of these fighters, you could say, oh, if better be was at that weight class, he could beat him. And so you can make an argument either way, to be honest with you. What about okay. you? Well, as far as a pound for pound, I think better be is going to be in my top pound for pound. Um, it's just going to shake things up. And really my pound for pound is – it's going to depend because we've got a fight coming up next week where it's another fight fighter that could very well enter into that, you know, elite group of fighters and be successful next week. Um, but it's going to be tough because right now I got 12 or well, 13 now that could potentially be in my top 10. But to me, I have to, I'm looking at it from this. And that's the fact that he's not, he has three belts. So that's going to, you know, help him in the achievement category, the eye test. Because when I look at Better B and some of the guys who are in the top 10, I think he will have a legitimate shot. He'll be tough to beat in that top 10 with that power and those skills. So if you match those fighters together, if they were in the same weight class, then, you know, just looking at it from that standpoint, I got to put Better B inside there. Um, so yeah, be looking, be on the lookout for that when the top ten comes out. My man, man, Arthur the Beast, better be this most likely going to be in there. Anything else you got? You know, as far as the fight card is concerned. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is um, there was a pretty good co-main too with Robisi Ramirez fighting Abraham Nova, who was undefeated. Um, it was at the fight was at one twenty six and. For those of you who aren't familiar with Ramirez, he was the guy that beat Shakur for the gold medal in the 2016 games, um, but he lost his first pro match in 2019, and so now he's 10 and one, and so just you know be on the lookout for him because he has a amateur pedigree, over 150 amateur fights, and so he's looking to make some some waves in that 126 pound division, which could be exciting if you have you know someone like a Navarrete who's down for that challenge, or if you have somebody like a cool boy, Steph, who ends up moving up for that fight. So, um, you know, definitely be on the lookout for him. Uh, that's all I have on the card itself. We can get into those predictions now. So next week, uh, we have a, a very good card coming up. Uh, the main fight on that is going to be Jesse Ben Rodriguez, who's going to be getting back in the ring after beating Carlos Quadras. He's going to be fighting Sorongvazai. Uh, how do you see that going? Yeah, I'm going to backtrack real quick, Danny, because I was, you know, speaking about yesterday's card, I did want to say this, is that I looked up on Friday night and I saw the tickets. Like, I was looking up tickets for that fight. And we are probably about four hours away from New York. And I was really considering going because of how inexpensive 
the tickets work. But then I thought about it. I said, man, here's the thing as far as New York. Like, I will never, ever do like a last minute anything in New York. Like, New York to me is a place that you definitely have to prepare for. And I was really like just so close to pressing that, you know, uh, pay button, you know, for those tickets. But then I thought, about, I thought about the last time I was in New York or one of the last times I was in New York. And it was just overwhelming because for one, you got to figure out parking. You got to figure out, um, you know, just how, when am I going to get to the fight? You know, all of that type of stuff. The, the uh, hotel, like where I'm going to stay and all that type of stuff. So I, I, I didn't, I reconsidered. And, and I didn't, um, I decided not to attend. But moving forward, I'm definitely, you know, interested in seeing fights, you know, moving forward that's going to be in on the East Coast. But saying that to say this as well, that if you are in the San Antonio area, I would highly recommend that you go to this fight card. This fight card has like three or four championship fights on it. And this right here, probably is going to be the best of the bunch. So next week, you got June 25th, you got Bam, Jesse Bam Rodriguez versus Sora Rumbasai. Bam is the WBC champ. He is 15-0 with 10 KOs. He's a southpaw. He's 5'4", 67-inch reach, and the kid is 22 years of age. He's going to, like I say, Sora Rumbasai, this man has been a stalwart for years in a 115 pound weight class. He's five, three and a half. He has a 63 and a half inch reach. He's also a southpaw. And he has a record of 55-1 with 43 KOs. Now, as far as Bam, Bam is a really awesome fighter, especially for his age. He has superb footwork. His footwork is A1, you know, solid, solidified, you know, when it comes to that. Like I say, for me, when I look at him, at, even at this stage of his career, if you ever see Finito Lopez, like his, his footwork is on par with Finito Lopez, and that's, that's high praise. He also um, has very good speed and timing, you know, and he also has never been knocked down in his career or in the amateurs, and he said that he's never even been stunned you know, in, in his fights. I don't know how true that is. I could have sworn that Carlos Quadras, I don't know if he was stunned by Carlos Quadras, but he um, certainly took a, a flush shot or two, you know, in that fight. But when he did face Carlos Quadras in his last fight, that was a very impressive victory. And it was a surprising fashion in which he went about doing it. He also dropped Carlos Quadras in that fight. Um, as far as Soromicide, Soromicide to me is one of the, biggest punchers in the lower weight class classes to me of all time to be honest with you if you see him the destructive power that he has it's on par like when we talked about Arthur better be he has that power that thudding power that's going to shake you up now this guy hits you it's like I said it's on par with like Julian Jackson Edward Rosario where you know you're out you know he can just you see what he did to Chocolatito you know, Gonzalez, you know, when they fought in that rematch. So this is going to be a very intriguing, interesting matchup. You got the young gun versus the old Wiley veteran, but that Wiley veteran hasn't shown any signs of slippage, you know. So here's how I look at it. I think Bam 
one thing that he can't do, he can't get caught up in a firefight. He can't be overly uh, eager to exchange with Ramasai because Ramasai is dangerous, you know, when he can sit down on his punches and he can back you up and, well, he, he doesn't want to back up and be on the ropes. You know, he throws those bombs. And like I said, he does well when he sits down on the shots. He's also not just a one-trick pony. So don't just think of this guy just being this overly super aggressive, you know, puncher. He's he's smart. You know, he knows how to set his shots up. He's seasoned and he's seen it all. You know, he's been in there with the likes of Estrada twice. He's been in there with Chocolatito twice. He's, he's been in there with Carlos Quadra. So there's not much that he hasn't seen in the ring. And like I say, although he's getting up there, he still believes that he is that dude because out of all of those guys that I mentioned, <clears throat> he can make the case that he's undefeated against those guys. He beat Estrada by majority decision, and then he lost in a rematch. I want to say it was a majority. It was very razor thin, you know, close, you know, call when it came to scorecards. Now, Bam, he, he, he he's going to have to. Um, be patient in this fight. He's going to have to use his speed, athleticism, but again, most importantly, be patient. Use his feet to create angles and take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves. And there will be opportunities that will be presented. I saw against Estrada, he was doing a good job of boxing and moving, and he was trying to take away the big left hand away from Roma's side. He did, you know, pretty much do that. But like I say, Roma's side, he's not a one-trick opponent. He was still able you know, to land certain shots and make it real close. Now, this will be uh, a huge, a feather in the cap of Jesse Rodriguez. And the reason why I say that, if he's able to successfully defeat Sora side, then he's going to do something that Chocolatito never did. He's going to do something that Estrada never did and Carlos Quadras never did. And that's decisively be so side. So that'll be a huge feather in his cap. And for me, this is another guy who, if he's able to pull this one off, I gotta put him in the top 10 pound for pound with his resume. Now, is he biting off more than he can chew? You know, but you also have to give this kid huge amounts of credit because he really doesn't have to do this. Keep this in mind, folks. This kid is fighting in a weight class He's really a weight class below. And not only is he coming up to fight these, you know, fights that are I mean, this right here. I don't know what the odds is, but this is very close. This is a pick and fight. Like you don't have many guys at this stage of their career that would be willing to, you know, move out of their weight class to jump up to another weight class and take on a challenge like a sore Roman side. So I have to give this kid a huge amounts of credit. Now, the last thing I'm going to say is Robert Garcia, his trainer, he really is big on this kid. I saw the confidence that he had when he was a late replacement for Carlos Quadras. And I was surprised because, again, he's a really a 112-pound fighter. And him taking on that challenge for the WBC belt, I was listening to Robert Garcia about three or four days before the fight, and he was just so confident. I was like, dang, wow. Like, against Carlos Quadras, and he went in there and he did what he had to do. He seems equally as confident this time. So with the confidence of Robert Garcia being the great trainer that he is, at least I think so, I'm going to go ahead and lean towards 
Jesse Van Rodriguez by 12 round decision against Soroma What say you, Danny? You know, you make some very good points because on, on one hand, you know, Bam has fought 62 total rounds as a professional. You know what I mean? And 12 of those were against Quadras. And so when it comes to someone with the pedigree as a sore run was I, he's definitely relatively inexperienced, but he's shown that he's game. And, you know, listening to him talk recently, he said he feels good at the weight. You know, they had that weigh-in, various weigh-ins throughout the course of the camp. And, you know, his most recent weigh-in was just under his walk-around weight, you know? And so him having fought so recently, he seems to have, even though he kind of came up into this weight class, he adjusted pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Um, but Suarungasai, extremely dangerous punch rate of division. And like you said, not a one-trick pony. Honestly, this was one of the matchups I liked the least for Bam at this point in his career. But that said, you know, I think it was the best case scenario for Bam to have fought the whole 12 rounds against Quadras because he hadn't gotten that many rounds in against someone in his professional career. But there were also several rounds in that fight and portions of rounds where he was a little bit too willing to trade where he could afford to do that against Quadras. I don't think he can afford to stand in there so much against Sor Rumbazai. Another thing with Sor Rumbazai is he's 35 and he hasn't shown signs of letting up, but he had a 13-month layoff. And really, since that loss uh, to Estrada in 2019, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of quality rounds in. You know what I mean? Like, he's fought some domestic fights against some guys, and he got some early stoppages, but he hasn't got a whole lot of quality rounds in. Um, but when it comes down to it, I think that Robert Garcia, the things that I pointed out in terms of, like, you know, being too willing to trade, I think Garcia is going to have him in camp working on not letting so Ramazai get into a position where he could sit down on those punches. And so on one hand, I could see so Ramazai wearing him down, but on another hand, I think Bam is so talented. And I really wish you would have said so Ramazai because I was hoping this would maybe be one of those fights where I get back, you know, up in those points category and get a little bit closer to you. But I, I also see this going to a, a Bam decision. And I think that, to your point, if it does, is is like you gotta consider him at least in your top ten because he was really not that far removed from fighting at a 108 pound division. You know what I mean? And so for him to be able to compete at three divisions at what 22, like come on, man, you know. But do you have anything else on this fight? Nah, that's that's what I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you, would you consider him for your top ten if he's able to pull us from off? I would definitely consider. Um, I think I would probably have him right on the outside. And I think, you know, the quality of opposition, it, it would be there based on what he's done so far. But he just hasn't had enough of that yet. With And, that, and that's not a knock against him. It's just he would just be sitting outside of that. And as he were to take on more high-quality fighters at those weight classes, whether he decides to – go back down to 108 or go to 112 or to take on a Estrada or a Chocolatito if you were to win this, I think it would be a little bit premature for me personally to put him in the top 10. 
but I would say he's right there. You know, I he he would even be maybe tied with one of those fighters. Yeah, and he, my argument, the reason why he, he would definitely be in there is he's doing this stuff so early. But the biggest thing is that's Sorrento side, man. Sorrento side is Chocolatito's kryptonite, and then also. Estrada, who is he's on the cusp, like he's either 10 or 11 in my top 10, and he's able to do something that he wasn't able to do. It, it just depends on how he does it. Like, if it's a wide decision victory for this young kid, then he would have the belt, you know, he would have the competition, and then just the way he fights. Like, I didn't know much about Bam before the Quadras fight, but when I saw how he was able to go in there and handle Carlos Quadras in the manner in which he did it, he showed me some high level skills too. So that eye test, he's gonna be up there, you know, as well. Now, if he's, you know, gets whitewashed or, you know, sore rumba side, or if he just inks out a victory, then I can't put him in my top 10. But if he's able to, to do what those other guys weren't able to do, then that's my case for him being in there. Yeah, it's tough because when you look at him and you put him up against like a Juan Estrada, specifically as it pertains to, you know, the top 10 pound for pound, Estrada, you know, he did get that, uh, he did get that win against Sora Rungazai in 2019. Uh, he got the win against Chocotito. He got the win against Quadras by knockout, but when you look at it, it's just that he's already put that time in, you know, and I wouldn't argue it if somebody said Bam would be in my top 10, but for me personally, I think it's just a little bit early for him. Yeah, see, here's the thing with Estrada. It's what you just said when you said he got the win. Like, some of those wins, they so close. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they, they, they could go either way, and I would make the case that he hasn't beaten Chocolate though. Like, when I see some of those fights, I'm like, who was scoring these fights right. and especially the margin in which they, they're having them, you know, win some of those, at least on one or two of the scorecards. So that's, that's the reason why I look at a starter like that. Now he does have the resume. He's, he's willing to face anyone. And, and sometimes he looks better than others, but it's just those Chocolatito fights. I'm kind of, even uh, the, the Soroma side, you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm not knocking him or anything like that. And the eye test. I, when I look at both of those guys, where Bam is, Bam is just so spry right now. And, and just, right. you know, he, he hasn't reached his peak. But I can just imagine, like, if this kid, if he's able to get through this one right here, then the sky's the limit for old Bam. The other thing I was going to say before we move on, that fight card, bro, like, that has four championship fights. I think Jessica McCaskill's on there, too. That's another one um, on that that San Antonio fight card also. So like I say, anybody that's in that area, you know, I would definitely recommend that you go take a look at that one if you can. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the fight card, then, you know, one of the main, you know, supporting bouts is gonna be uh, Marajan Atmadaliev. He's gonna be facing uh, Roddy Rios and a championship fight as well. You know, I think this is in a featherweight division. Uh, what do you think about that one? Yeah, so you have Akhmadaliev. He's 10-0 with seven knockouts, 27 years old. He's 5'5 five, five with a 68-inch reach. 
he last beat Jose Velasquez by unanimous decision in November of last year. Um, he is the current WBA and IBF title holder. In that division, uh, Stephen Fulton has the other two. And he's fighting against Ronnie Rios, who's 33 and three with 16 knockouts. He's 32 years old, five, seven and a half with 67 inch reach. And he last beat Oscar Negrete by unanimous decision in February of last year. Now, Rios has been around for a while. You know, he has, he's a two time national Golden Gloves champ, turned pro in 2018. Uh, he has a pretty solid quality of opposition for the weight class. You know, in the amateurs, he fought Gary Russell twice in the amateurs. He actually won one of those. He fought Ray Vargas a few years ago, uh, where he lost by decision, but and he has two knockout losses. But he's been around for a while, and he's a solid professional uh, based on his resume. Uh, but don't let Akhmadaliev's 10 pro fights fool you either. You know, he's been around for a while. He turned pro in 2018, but he has 85 amateur fights where he's fought some high-quality amateurs, too. He fought Mick Conlon. He fought Robisi Ramirez, who uh, I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And he himself won a bronze medal in those 2016 Olympic Games. And the belts that he had now, he has from, from, from beating Danny Roman in January of 2020. So clearly there's a reason why he got a title shot in his eighth pro fight. Now, Will, I listened to your YouTube prediction, and like you said, I agree in a sense that Akhmadaliev, he does good work to the body, and he has a good left hand. And, and Rios, he looked very sharp against Negrete. Uh, he just hasn't been, like, super active. You know, that fight was, that fight was 14 months ago. Uh, but I do think when it comes down to it, this is going to be a good fight between two Solid professionals with a solid amateur background. Uh, both has fought top competition at, at both levels. This one's just a matter of who's going to step up and be the best that night. On one hand, I personally haven't seen Akhmadalia face the type of adversity Rios has at the professional level. On another hand, he's so good, he hasn't put himself in a position to have to face that type of adversity. And on top of that, you know, in those knockout losses, Rios has shown that his chin can be susceptible. So I think, you know, Rios is going to have to shake off some of those cobwebs in real time. But I think Amadaliev is going to move pretty well against him. And I think he's going to wear him down. And I could see him stopping him in the championship round. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go like 12th round knockout in Amadaliev's favor. What about you? Mm. Yeah, I was thinking, um, I'll get to my prediction in, in a second. But, you know, you, you broke down pretty much um, everything that needs to be broken down. Now, when I look at Akhmadalia, you know, in his short career, you know, the, 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 the most impressive victory I've seen was the, the Daniel Roman victory. And he has that, the, the two belts, the IBF and WBA. What I noticed most about him is that he's very hardworking, hard hitting, and a good body puncher. He's pretty powerful with that left hand. He's very strong and he fights kind of like rhythmically, kind of like Chocolatito. Um, and he moves, he's not a stationary guy. And he has that, when, when you see him in, in his offensive attacks, it's just a fluidity that he has. And that's to me, that's what's reminiscent to Chocolatito. Rios, you know, 
he's he's good. Uh, he's a good body puncher. You know, solid timing. You know, he he has the nice punch plate placement as well. I and mean, you just mentioned the decorated amateur, so he has that pedigree. And the fact that he won the National Golden Gloves, he was two-time national champion, and he drew comparisons to guys like Oscar De La Hoya. So he has that pedigree. And when he's on his game, like he was against Oscar Negrete, then you can see why people had those uh, lofty expectations for him. But he has some setbacks, but he's on a four-fight win streak. And he looked great in his last fight. The only problem is, is that that was about 13 months ago. And so how would that, how's that going to play out against a young tiger like Akhmadaliev, who's, who's on his A game, he's hungry, he's looking for bigger and better things. You know, maybe the Fulton fight will be next, you know, another unification match. So I think that that's one of the things that's going to play a factor in this is that Rios, he has, see, here's the thing, like, we always want guys and we keep preaching that you want to take on tough opposition and then it prepares you for moments like this. But what the thing that he's doing going into this fight that he shouldn't be doing, and it may not be due to any fault of his own because they were supposed to fight before. I want to say that Rios was injured, COVID or something like that. The reason why it was postponed and that Akhmedaliev ended up fighting Jose Velasquez instead. But the long layoff. So if by you having those challenges and being able to overcome them, get gaining that experience, you just want to be a little bit more fine-tuned going into a fight of this magnitude. And I just think that that's what's going to be one of the determining factors in why I'm leaning towards Akhmedaliev. And I was thinking more so 10-11, but I'll go 11 round. TKO victory for Akhmedaliev. Um, very good fighter, and I think that this will lead to him and Fulton in a unification matchup, probably sometime around September. You know, anything else you got on that? No, uh, just like you alluded to, I hope we get that that unification though, because these, these undisputed matches, I'm loving them. We got to keep them coming in boxing, you know. Yeah, man, we might have to think about what was, you know, from the past 10 years, what, what's been the best boxing year. But all of these fights that they've been having, you know, now it's, it's been, you know, pretty good. It's, I shouldn't say pretty. It's been really good. I, like I say, I just want them to keep up, you know, this type of action that they've been presenting to us. Now, the last thing that we want to do is we just want to touch on a few topics, um, like a few boxing news topics that are currently going on and then you know i'm just gonna throw out you know some of the recent events that have been happening and just your thoughts you know what i mean nothing elaborate or anything like that so for instance you got the aj and Usyk matches official for august 20th um anything that you're looking for in particular you know in that matchup you know uh we were just talking about with bam about how confident Robert Garcia sound, you know, both with him going in the Quadras fight and with him going in this sort of Rumbles out fight. And he sounds confident with AJ too, but I don't know if I buy what he's selling with this one though. You know, I just, <laughs> I just don't think it's enough time, man. And, you know, I'm very willing to be wrong, but for him to have just started working with him, I don't think that he's going to have enough time to really form habits. It's going to transform a fight. You know, it might transform, a round or two, you know, or three, but, you know, if you look at when Wilder fought Fury, you know, what Wilder was doing with Malik Scott, you know, that kind of 
he looked different in the first like round or two, maybe the third one, but then he went right back to being Wilder. And so, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think he simply put enough time in to really change his mindset or his strategy enough to to beat someone with the pedigree of a Usyk. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know that I, I referenced him and Bam, but he you can tell when somebody has like a little false bravado or when somebody's being serious. I didn't see the interview and he could be very well serious with, with AJ, you know, as far as his confidence is concerned. But I was just thinking what trainer doesn't speak highly of their fighter going into a fight. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> what if you got there like, I don't know, you know, it's. I'm telling AJ, he might not want to take this one. <laughs> you know, if you're talking like that, then he's he not going to have a job, you know. But speaking of that, you, you got, so let's say, for instance, Usyk is successful on August 20th. Now, you got the big man, Tyson Fury. He said that he'll be willing to come back for an Usyk match. You know, what do you think about that? You know, Fury, since I've been following him, like, he'll say a bunch of things, right? And you got to really pick up on who he is to, to figure out what's a joke and what's serious. You know what I mean? So, you know, as it pertains to Usyk, he said specifically, I watched the little interview he did where he was getting his hair cut, the hair he has left. And he said he would come back and fight Usyk for half a billion and not half a billion USD, half a billion pounds. Don't get me wrong. It's ridiculous in both in both currencies. But, you know, when he says stuff like that, I'm like, all right. Fury, you know what I mean? But in the same interview, he mentioned doing some uh, a series of exhibitions against like Tyson, Lewis, Lennox Lewis, The Rock, and Ganu. And he announced a documentary that's coming out on Netflix. So based on all the stuff he's talking, he seems the least serious about fighting Usyk. But we'll see. I think it would be a good fight to determine who is, you know, the best at heavyweight. And he's still been training. And so it's still not out of the realm of possibility. What do you think? I think that what, if you like thinking about if, if, if Fury is serious or if he's not serious, I question his retirement, period. I don't think that he's really retired. You know what I'm saying? I just think that that's something that he was saying and that he said because he told his wife that he was going to do that. But you know, he, he out there training and stuff like that. And Fury might just be trying to catch somebody slipping. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, okay. Um, I'm retired, and then all of a sudden they set a matchup up, and the other person isn't prepared. Maybe it's a Usyk, maybe it's a Joshua, whoever. But he always plans some type of mind games. You know, he, I don't think he he takes things that serious, and he's just like a playful, you know, type guy. Now, let me ask you this question: When you do your top ten, is is do you still rate Fury in the top ten, or do we have to, um, you know, eliminate him because he is saying that he's retired? You know, I personally. When we, when we do this episode with the top 10, I'm not going to have him in there because he played too much for me, man. Like, you you either, you know, when when you, you were young and, you know, you running in and out the house and your mom get mad at you, you either in or you out. You know what I mean? And right. so he's not in enough for boxing for me to have him in my top 10 right now. When there's so many hungry guys out here, like, we've, we've named off three fighters in just this episode that could replace people who was on the list before. So he's not going to be in mine personally until he gives me something firm. Right. Or oh, we can do it like this. This is pound for pound up. You know, you have to have fault within this time frame, or this could be our top 10 pound for pound list until this particular month. So he could be included in that because he's fought with probably within a time frame that we would have, 
you know, set. And that's, that would be for each guy to determine whether or not they want to add them in there. At least give them the opportunity to be able to put them in there if they want. Um, last few topics is Berlinga. He was suspended, you know, because of the bite in his last fight against uh, Romir uh, Angulo. Uh, what do you think? You think that was a fair suspension? I thought it was fair. And you know what? <laughs> I was thinking about it, right? And maybe maybe this was some high-level chess move that he did, right? You know, he got the he got this fan base, but he's been doing these underwhelming fights. And so in the back of his mind, maybe he looked up the rule book from the New York State Athletic Commission and was like, if I get this bite off, I don't have to fight for six months. And so maybe, maybe he did it on purpose. So, you know, he they'll be quote unquote forced to keep him out of the ring longer so he can figure out what to do with himself. I don't know, but I think it was a fair, I think it was a fair suspension. He deserved it, especially after you joke about it at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I was, you know, more so going to talk about is just how nonchalant and arrogant he was after he did it. You know what I mean? I didn't think that he was going to just like admit to it. You know, I obviously you saw it on the screen, you know, and you saw a video of it, but I thought he might have said, no, I didn't really do that, you know, try to avoid a suspension. But now based on what you said, it made more sense. He probably was trying to, you know, gain a little bit of time, you know, buy some time or something like that. But I don't know. Hopefully the young man learns from that and doesn't use any type of illegal strategies or activity inside the ring because you want everything to be able to up and up you know, when it comes to sport. Last few topics, um, you got the Ruiz and, or Andy Ruiz and Ortiz, they, they, they signed, well not signed, but it's been pretty much set in stone that they are reportedly set up for September 4th. Who do you like in that matchup? You know, not to give a, a, a in-depth breakdown, but who, you know, who would you favor? Yeah, this is a big crossroads match because Ruiz didn't look great against, Ariola, and he hasn't been super active since, you know, that AJ series of fights. But Ortiz, he bought 47, and he looked very beautiful in that Charles Martin fight. He just, you know, pulled it together and came out with that win. I think if I'm going off with a more solid professional, I'm going to go with the slight edge to Ortiz at this point because it's not that far removed from his previous fight. Um, and I just think that Ruiz's size, you know, like he's strictly his height, but also, you know, his size is a disadvantage to him against any elite heavyweight fighter. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I just think the discipline thing, you know, at some point, you know, it's, it, it'll catch up when you got somebody who's, who shows discipline pretty much all the time, you know, and I think that that was, that's going to play a, a major factor. And I think that like them at their best, I would definitely favor Ortiz against Ruiz is just now, you know, based on what we've seen from Ortiz in his last fight, taking those two knockout losses to Wilder, how much does he have left at his age? You know, that's the only thing. But still at this stage, I would slightly favor Luis Ortiz to, I would say, stop Andrew Ruiz at some point in that fight. Last thing, can, um, George Cambosis, he, he triggered that rematch clause. What do you think? You think he has a shot to defeat Devin Haney? I think he has a shot at having a healthy camp at working very hard to get to that fight and coming in underweight. That's all <laughs> I got. <laughs> I didn't show any signs of being able to do anything different. I, I can't see anything 
changing that much, that drastically for him to be able to pull off the upset against Devin Haney. So I, I definitely would favor um, the dream Haney over George Cambosis, but, you know, George is going to get another payday. You know what I mean? What can we say? Oh, I failed to mention that, you know, a fighter last year that I think we all had in our top 10 pound for pound list, he took the loss to George Cambosis. And he'll be back in action on the 23rd of August, and that's Teofimo Lopez. What are you going to be looking for um, with Tio in his new weight class? He's going to move up to the 140-pound weight division. You know, with him, the talent is there. You know, what I'm looking for with him the most is kind of his body language, what he's saying going into the fight, you know, because, you know, he's, I don't know everything that, you know, has been going on with him, but you know, clearly there's been some stuff going on outside of boxing that has affected, to some extent, his performance in the ring. And so I think that if if everything is there, body and mind, you know, if they're aligned, I think he'll be fine. I'm just making sure, because even, you know, last time I heard him talk, he still sounded kind of salty about the, you know, the, the situation with just losing the belts. And it's like, you know, you got to get past that, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, he's in a good headspace to be able to perform on that night. That's all I, that's all I want for him. What about you? Yeah. What I'll be looking for is the, his ability to the power, you know what I mean? Because he has some pretty destructive, devastating power at lightweight. Will that move up? I know it's only five pounds, but those guys are bigger. They're able to, withstand punches better, you know, typically. And I want to see, does he still have that, that, that punch, you know, the way he did. Also, what I'm going to be looking for is his ability to, with, you know, absorb punches himself, you know. But I don't think that this fight is going to tell me that. I'm just saying, like, moving forward in the new weight class, this one is just going to be a, a fight that's going to, you know, be a more of a showcase because I think he's facing Pedro Campo. Pedro Campo is not that big of a puncher. He um, he just hasn't fought the best opposition. Now he does have 22 KOs in those 33 wins, um, but you know, based on the highlights that I saw, I didn't I didn't see much of a, a, a danger there for Tio. Um, but just moving forward after this one, you know, if he's fighting somebody like a Regis Progray, you know, uh, Josh Taylor, like those guys can really punch. You know what I mean? And even Ramirez, he's not like a devastating one-punch KO artist, but he does have volume. And eventually those punches can, you know, wear you down. And he's a big 140-pound fighter. So if Teal's fighting dudes like that, that could wear him down. You know what I mean? So I just want to see if maybe he may look stronger because he doesn't have to drain himself. He was a big 135-pounder himself. So maybe a weight class could actually be a blessing in disguise and that he's more strong, he's more powerful. For his sake, I hope that that is the case. Anything else that you have before we close things out? No, sir. This was a good episode, man. I think so, man. We got Machiavelli. He'll be back. You know, I think today he's uh, celebrating Father's Day, you know, with family. And, you know, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. You know, I'm not a father myself, but I hear, you know, a lot of my, my buddies, they say, man, you know, this is a whack day, man. And he getting these weak gifts and stuff like that. So that, <laughs> that's not the case. You know what I mean? You know, treat, treat pops, you know, with the utmost respect, you know, go ahead and take them out, make sure that this is the day 
that's fun filled and that will put a big smile on his face. Also, today is Juneteenth, you know what I mean? So happy Juneteenth to those people who celebrate that sort of thing. You know, I'm certainly gonna celebrate that and, you know, just enjoy the rest of the weekend. On that note, anything else you got there? No, sir, I think you ended it perfect. Well, let's go ahead and, and close this bad boy out, man. Y'all have a great week and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.